Hey guys, welcome to the Self-Evident Podcast. This is Mike. I got my boy Croft in here. Uh, I do not have Massey. He is on his way back from Minnesota. They should be getting back today. So pray for them. Give them well wishes. Reach out to them. Tell them how much you love them. So there's all kinds of stuff going on in this world. It's crazy stuff, isn't it? And sometimes we get a little overwhelmed. Sometimes we go, well, as long as it's not happening to me, what we're going to talk about is we're not necessarily going to talk about just all the evil and the bad stuff in the world, but we are going to talk about solutions as well and thoughts about why it's happening. So be sure before I get started, share, like, comment, do all that stuff. You know what to do and be sure to uh, leave your comments. I'm going to have Croft really checking in, seeing what comments are there saying, Hey, if there's anything important, We'll put it up on the screen. He'll read it to me because, frankly, I do not have the technology right now to do what I need to do to see your comments. But say hi. Let me know your love. Let me know where you're watching from, what's going on in your world. And if you want me to comment on it, I will try my best. So, Croft, you ready to go? Croft's ready to go. I'm ready to go. We might as well get right into this. So, you may or may not have known about a convoy slash blockade going on in Canada. And, of course, Trudeau has decided that he needs to become dictator-in-chief, although he, I put in my notes, also, he is trying his best to get the record for national leaders hide-and-seek. Uh, he still cannot be found. Uh, we're guessing he's in a basement in Delaware, I mean, Ottawa somewhere. Oh, sorry, was that a Freudian slip? And Emergencies Act. He has now put forward and passed an emergencies act that basically gives him carte blanche control. Where does that sound familiar? Emergencies act. Hmm. Emergencies, emergencies. Why is it that there's always an emergency to give a single person more power? Why is it even in Florida, we have emergency acts that will give your governor power over your electricity, your gas, right? They'll give you power over all your utilities, your water. They, it gives them power over your movement, your transportation. Yet we, we allow this. We say, well, you know, sometimes you just need somebody who has all of the power. Be very careful about the power you put into the hands of other people. And Trudeau is pointing that out and he's showing it. So the the blockades have been going on for a couple of weeks now. The military and the police have decided to finally step in. Mind you, they came in in full military garb. They were ready to go. Snipers on the roofs, special forces guys out there to arrest those evil truckers who were playing hockey in the street and making pizza for each other. This is crazy, guys. I... This this becomes a cliche for conservatives and and Republicans and but it bears repeating. Black Lives Matter caused billions of dollars worth of damage. Dozens of people were killed, thousands injured. The economy was drained over a summer of riots and looting and anarchy. That's referred to as mostly peaceful. Things like the Freedom Convoy, which they have done their best to keep things clean, to keep things orderly. 
they they entertained themselves by playing hockey in the street and they were actually giving free food to people making food for everybody they held prayer vigils they said to the government look we don't want to do this we want to meet with you let's figure something out and what trudeau does is he decides well I need to crack down on these people, these terrorists, these right-wing extremists, these Nazis, these these white supremacists. You notice all of the catchphrases come out of the woodwork to demonize this group of people, and they're actually referring to them as terrorists under this Emergencies Act. And Ottawa Police Chief Steve Bell told reporters that Ottawa police have made at least 70 arrests including the high-profile organizers Tamara Lick, Chris Barber, and Pat King. And they've towed at least 21 vehicles. I'm sure that will go up like crazy once they get all the vehicles out. Bell said the plan to move in on protesters was methodical and well thought out, noting officers had control of the situation on the ground. He said, we will run this operation 24 hours a day until the residents and community have their city back. Boy, you didn't have that kind of passion when people were protesting and rioting and looting there wasn't that type of response it was well we you know people have the right to protest it all matters about the agenda it all matters and frankly their agenda is not your agenda and so the question is here in america what do we do about it we thankfully thankfully have the bill of rights we've got the constitution this is why we harp on this stuff over and over and over again that you need to use that stuff and activate behind that stuff the reason we have the first amendment is so that you can assemble and so little bit of a lesson don't forget, there's a difference between enumerated rights and unenumerated rights. Enumerated is written out. Now, the Ninth Amendment is very clear. It's not just the rights written down in the Bill of Rights that you have. There are also what are called unenumerated or unwritten rights. The Bill of Rights was just a collection of some of those rights. It's not all of them. And so what we need to do is, is activate back into defending the rights that aren't necessarily written down in the Bill of Rights. Now, there is a difference between positive rights and negative rights, and here's why that's important. Because immediately somebody will say, well, yeah, like a right to housing or a right to medical care or a right to abortion. Now, let's put abortion aside for a second. Let's just do medical care and housing. The problem with that is those are positive rights. In other words, you have to coerce somebody or you you may need to create force against somebody to fulfill that right negative rights you don't have to act on anybody you can do it yourself it's yours freedom of speech you don't have to act on anybody for you to talk there's nobody you have to get something from in order to be able to speak or freedom of religion or freedom to assemble Whereas something like housing or medical care, if I have the right to a house, somebody has to build it for me. Somebody has to prepare it for me. Somebody has to give it to me. Medical care. Somebody has to go through all those years of training and schooling 
and testing and somebody has to gain years of experience and then all of a sudden I have a right to demand that from them? No, I have the right to opportunity. The opportunity to get a hold of that. And why this matters is because all of a sudden people are trying to write in new unenumerated rights like medical care or housing or abortion, which acts upon another life. I'll fight that with you all day long. And you're going to have a hard time proving to me that it's not another life. I dare you to show me where in nature human beings are naturally born with two hearts outside of a medical condition. Why is it? Billions of people have had two hearts for a period of nine months, but we're not going to consider that a separate life. When human beings, whether evolved or created, have lived an entire lifespan naturally with a single heart, now all of a sudden another heart shows up in them, but that's not considered another life. Yet we could make the same argument that if, if you had a parasite that had its own heart, you go, well, that's another life inside me, whether or not it's, it's good to be there. But that's an aside. You're taking away a life. You don't have a right to take away a life. Certain unalienable rights, among these, life, 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 liberty, pursuit of happiness. Basic foundational rights. So it's... That's, that's my uh, standing on a soapbox about rights because this is so important for us to get. We've got to understand what our rights actually are and start fighting for them. Start standing up for them. That's what this whole convoy blockade thing was about was, look, we have certain rights that you are trying to remove from us. God-given rights. That's why it's not just America holds this, this monopoly on rights or freedom. These are fundamental concepts that any nation of people should defend and stand up for. People in China are, have God-given rights and freedoms that their government for so long has been able to squash it out of their psyche that they don't believe they have those rights. Australia, the right to defend yourself. For so long, they have not had those rights to where the government has squashed out the idea of even having that. Oh, I can't defend myself. I, I, I can't have a gun. That's, that's not right. You have a right to protect your life, your liberty, and your pursuit of happiness. And so I'm so thankful for these brothers and sisters in Canada who understand it. And they've sparked stuff around the world. And now in America, we do have a convoy that is building up. We'll see how far this goes. Uh, this group is called the People's Convoy. It's organizing truckers who are going to travel to the nation's capital and demand that the Emergency Powers Act be lifted. There's those words again. Emergency and act in one phrase. According to Chris Marson, they hope to end the mandates in the U.S. Marson is the chairman of the American Foundation of Civil Liberties, a nonprofit that advocates for civil liberties not the ACLU. We demand the declaration of national emergency concerning the COVID-19 pandemic be lifted immediately and our cherished constitution reign supreme. Group is inspired by the Canadian Freedom Convoy. And one thing that's going on with the Canadians is they are popping up 
protests and blockades in other areas. And I hope that they continue this game of whack-a-mole. You've got to make it hard and difficult for the ones in power. You have to make them realize that the people outnumber them and are stronger than them. And it's got to continue because what they're hoping, especially in Canada, is that it'll all burn out. It'll fizzle out. If, if we just outweigh them long enough, we'll arrest them. They'll go away. It'll die out. And this is for both the Americans and for the Canadians. Do not react violently. This was Martin Luther King's whole deal was nonviolent. Because what happens is the longer you are nonviolent and the powers act upon you, the more likely they are to make themselves look bad. What images do we remember from the civil rights movement? We remember massive water cannons. We, we remember the German shepherds attacking people. We remember the, the military moving in, the, the hundreds of arrests, thousands of arrests. We remember the violence and oppression that's put upon the people. But guess what we remember from the BLM stuff? Their own violence, their own action, their own disgraceful conduct. You have to continue to take the high road and allow them to prove who they are. Thankfully, the Freedom Convoy is doing this. The, the Canadians are doing this. Americans, you have to get on board with that. It, you have to take that approach. And you have to outlast them. And that takes numbers. That takes people actually believing in it. Because you could get this small group of people who are adamant about it, but once they're arrested, once they're scrubbed out, if you don't have other people coming in to take their place, it dies. And so the pain was felt the most in Canada, and that's when the government started to act. And if they get out of control at all, it's bad publicity. It looks bad, and it sways the people to start believe that, you know, they're going a little too far. And so in America, don't be surprised. Biden's already, Biden and the Democrats have already put the military in D.C. Remember that? Anybody else remember that? It was an occupation. Don't be surprised if that kind of thing happens again. Depending on how much steam this Freedom Convoy gains. You're going to get the bad publicity. You're going to get the arguments against it. You're going to get that they're, they're tearing down our democracy, which anybody else love? Thank you, Croft. Anybody else love when Pelosi and Schumer and all of them come out and they're like, we need to protect our democracy. And meanwhile, those of us go, we're not a democracy. Don't protect it. I don't care about your idea of democracy. And I don't want you protecting what you think a republic should be because you're wrong. You are wrong. So go ahead. Protect your stupid democracy. That's not what we are. Go the other way. Leave. Get done with it. Let's get back to the republic. Constitutional representative republic. Not a democracy. You know the saying? Democracy? Two wolves and a sheep voting for what's for dinner? You are the sheep, my friend. It's why Republican is so or republic is so important. Republican. <laughs> After Republicans believe it's a democracy. So we'll see if the military comes out on this. It really depends how big the protest is, how big this freedom convoy coming from California making its way to Washington, D.C. actually gets. People are comfortable. 
that's one problem. And, and that's one thing that concerns me is people are comfortable. And so the question is, will they, they want to rise up? Do you have to get very uncomfortable to decide that you're going to fight for change? And a lot of people in America are still comfortable. Look how easy we actually acquiesced to this whole lockdown restriction stuff. How many months it took before we were finally starting to say, this isn't good. Now, we've been saying it the whole time, but that, that's more on a principle level. There's plenty of people who are just like, well, it doesn't really affect me. It's not that big of a deal. And of course, you heard that a lot from journalists and, and Hollywood and all of that. Well, you need to just accept the lockdowns and be okay. Yeah, Mr. Journalist that works from home full time and it doesn't affect you at all. Of course. Man, I'm going crazy on this one, aren't I, Croft? Man. It's because it, it frustrates me, and I, I hope you guys understand. I, I get frustrated because there's spurts and sputters, and, and there's going to be pushback. You're not going to be popular. But at the same time, you'll be popular. And here's what I mean by that. The, the, the small vocal minority will come out fully swinging against you. But I guarantee there are more people than you could possibly imagine that are waking up and realizing this isn't what I signed up for. And so now is the time to continue to stand the line, to stay fundamental in your principles. I find so much encouragement, and I talk about this all the time, the school boards and, and the movements that are going on in the school boards. That's grassroots. Because one of those kind of don't cross this line places are people's kids. I mean, that's why I do what I do. That's why Massey does what he does. Don't touch my kids. Don't you dare come after my kids. Because my kids are my responsibility, not yours. And frankly, I don't trust most people to raise my children right. And I will fight tooth and nail to protect my kids from things that I think are evil and wicked and wrong. And you watched in Virginia, as soon as those words came out of what's-his-name mouth, you know, <laughs> it was over for him. It was over for him because he went after the kids. And I think for us, what we need to do is we need to encapsulate that messaging and continue to push that forward. Of it's it's kids. It's we're we're protecting our children. Don't you want to protect your children? Don't you want your children to know right from wrong? Don't you want them to grow up in a a safe environment with a clean conscience? You don't want wickedness and suffering to be poured down on your children. And so those school board actions are beautiful. It's got to move forward now. It's got to grow. Uh, even San Francisco, they, the school board district had three school board members recalled. Good. Go after it. It's time to see that stuff. So let me know what you guys think about all of this, especially Convoy in America. Oh, one note that I did have in my notes about BLM. Did you notice that Amazon has finally suspended BLM from being part of their nonprofit campaign platform stuff. 
Now, su surprisingly, this issue was brought up in California, but once again, after billions of dollars worth of damage, and I'm going to cry it from the rooftops, billions of dollars worth of damage, dozens of lives lost, thousands injured, Amazon didn't feel it necessary, but oh, now we got some financial troubles. We're wondering kind of some of the money situation in California. California of all places raising this up, and I've got an interesting thought about all of that. But now finally Amazon says, nope, nope, nope. Well, we can't be associated with that. Here's a question. I want you to think about it. Why now? Why now? As if all of a sudden questions are raised about the financing of BLM, $60 million in the coffers, they handed out, they, it was something like $80 million they've raised, 80 or $90 million. They handed out, I think, $27 million uh, for BLM chapters and all that. And they're six, sitting on $60 million. And now, all of a sudden, California, of all places, is raising questions. Here's my thought. BLM has served their purpose. So if you notice, during the Trump presidency, BLM came skyrocketed up. They, they say mostly peaceful protests. What was going on? It was destabilizing things. They were a pawn. They were used to destabilize the situation so that Trump would look bad. Democrats could sweep in because they know it's a one or the other choice system. So if Trump's not the choice, well, Biden must be the choice. BLMs outlived themselves because if you notice, defund the police is now a verboten term for Democrats. Even Pelosi saying, no, we're, we're not going that route. BLM is now getting pulled apart. Their legitimacy is being pulled down. <laughs> you guys were pawns the whole time. You didn't get it. You didn't understand it. You thought you had control. Isn't it funny that right after Biden was elected, he wouldn't sit down with you? He, he wouldn't sit at the table with you because he knew you weren't legitimate. He knew you weren't useful anymore. They knew they were going to get rid of you at their first opportunity. And so now they're coming after you. And now they're going to pull you apart. You're going to be diminished in the public's eyes. Companies aren't going to fund you anymore. Even Amazon put their own money in the coffers for BLM, something like $11 million. Your time is up. You're not useful anymore. And they'll get rid of you. Because what they need now is they need to show themselves as stable. They need to show themselves as, as cohesive. I, I would put money down that in Biden's State of the Union address, they declare victory over COVID. Isn't it funny that now, all of a sudden, Bill Gates comes out and says, well, natural immunity is actually better than vaccination in certain respects. Funny. Mr. Vaccine. Mr. Vaccine, who has tried to vaccinate the entire world, is now all of a sudden... Throwing out the idea, well, natural immunity, you know, it, it does play a role in COVID. Right. Croft says it wasn't a health thing. It was political agenda. Absolutely. Make it hurt. Make it hurt. And so now it's, it's almost the art of the deal. Here's, here's why I say that. 
Trump's art of the deal was make it sound really bad so that way when you offer out something you know, halfway, that sounds really good. Isn't it funny that everything was super constricted, rough, oppressive, awful, horrible, and now as we dance out of COVID, they can claim victory and point to you and say, we got you out of this. We helped you out. Watch for everything to suddenly look like roses coming up to the elections. And they will get rid of and off anything that is causing trouble or destabilizing the situation. And it gets worse for them. Because as a note, Democrats are seeing the writing on the wall at the same time. They've they've pushed too hard, they did too much, and they don't think they can reel it back. Why? Because 30 Democrats are not seeking re-election in the House. This is the most in, what, since 2012? They're retiring. They're saying, I'm done. I, it, game over. I'm good. 14 Republicans are not seeking re-election. Six Democrat senators are not returning after their current term. People are jumping ship. People are jumping ship. They're, they're leaving. They're good. You know what? I'm gone. I, I served my time writing on the wall, which is good for us. But now it's time to get conservatives in those positions, which means you have to continually remind people because people have short tension, attention spans. Remind them of what happened for the past six years. And the reason I say the past six years, two years of Biden or whatever – Four years of Russiagate, four years of not a legitimate election, four years of Hillary claiming she won, four years of destabilizing everything, four years of incessant attacking. Do not forget. Be mad that they have treated you this way. And now, all of a sudden, couple months leading up to election stuff, midterms, they're going to pull out all the stops to make you feel good. Now, personally, I think they can't control inflation. And so the economy is going to be really hard for them to wrap around. But they'll try. They will, they will show you. Articles have come out and say why inflation is great. It's good. But they'll continue to try. Now, some may say that this segue is related. I'm not going to, but let's talk about Ukraine because, yes, of course, there's American discussion about it. And I'm actually going to cover an article uh, more at length about what I think this person gets right and gets wrong. It's Andrew Basevich. He's president of the Quincy Institute for Responsible Statecraft. He wrote an interesting article. It's up on Zero Hedge. And I wanted to kind of go through this piece by piece. And show where I agree with him and where I disagree with him, because I think he comes to a right conclusion by, by the wrong means. And I hope what this helps you learn to do is take opinion articles, take editorials, take news articles, and pair them out and see, okay, where is this person coming from and why are they saying what they're saying? But let's go into what's going on in Ukraine right now. Russia has amassed something like 180,000, 190,000 troops along the border. People are saying, okay, it's days before Russia invades. Friday night, there was a major pipeline blast in Ukraine. Now, it was in a pro-Russian region. 
Um, we'll talk about possible theories on that. It's being said, Volodymyr Zelensky has left Ukraine. Some are reporting he's fled to Germany. Now, here's here's where that gets iffy because there is a Munich meeting in Munich where world leaders are coming together to discuss this whole Russian situation. Zelensky, it could be on the precipice of war, and Biden had told him, I think you should stay there. Um, others had said, stay there. It could look as weak if you leave, and then Russia will invade. I'm not sure why he's going to Munich. Um, I'm not going to say he's fleeing. I don't know what is a good decision for him, but that is interesting to note. He he chose this time right after the pipe blast, and there's other stuff going on that I'll point out, but he he's not in the country. Um, also, what's going on is pro-separatist regions are fully mobilizing, and these regions feel they want to be a part of Russia, not Ukraine. And so there's fighting going on right now by these little factions in different areas, but they're fully mobilizing. Russia has not fully mobilized, although they, they seem to have primed themselves to fully mobilize. This could be a political pressure point. It could be something that they're testing the water, seeing, hey, what will they do? Can we, can we get things to the table? But I'm not saying they're not going to invade. What I found interesting was uh, Daily Wire's Ted Cruz did an interview with them, and this is what he said. It's kind of a longer quote, but hear this out. And I think he's he's got a good point. Putin has long wanted to invade Ukraine. Putin has been very candid. He has described the dissolution of the Soviet Union as, in his view, the most disastrous geopolitical event of the 20th century. His ambitions have long been to reassemble the Soviet Union. Remember, Putin's former KGB. You do not become KGB unless, man, you drink the Kool-Aid. And especially you don't become former KGB turned president unless you still have faith in the entire system. And so I would argue that Putin very much would love to see a rise of the, of the Soviet Union again. Now, under a direct communist state, maybe. Um, why not? Uh, I, KGB were very much dyed-in-the-wool communists, you know, party members, that kind of thing. So Cruz continues, he yearns for what he sees as the day of Soviet greatness. If you're going to reassemble the Soviet Union, the first and most important part is Ukraine, the breadbasket of the former Soviet Union. Now, Putin has invaded Ukraine before, Crimea, but Cruz is right on this. Ukraine is a wealth of resources, and it really is a breadbasket. When you look back at decolonization, it, it decimated Ukraine because Ukraine had a bunch of farmers. They were very good at farming. And taking out the kulaks, who were the, the middle to middle upper class uh, farmers, created a famine which killed six million people. Ukraine is a breadbasket. It really is. And Ukraine is full of resources. Ukraine is a beautiful acquisition by Russia if they're to go through with it. So don't think that this is all political bluster because Ukraine really does serve a purpose for Russia. Cruz continues, he did so in 2014, he invaded Crimea, but he stopped short. He didn't invade the entirety of the country and the reason he didn't is because he needs Ukrainian energy infrastructure. Cruz continued, Russia's major export is natural gas and oil. 
and that natural gas goes right through the middle of Ukraine on pipelines. If he invaded Ukraine, he risks damaging or destroying that energy infrastructure, which would mean that he could not get his natural gas to market in Europe, which they need the funding in order to be able to invade. Accordingly, the next year in 2015, Putin began building a pipeline called Nord Stream 2. Maybe you've heard about it. You've heard America being against Nord Stream 2 and trying to stop that. This was one of the reasons America didn't want that to go through. Now, this gets into the whole globalist intervention thing, which I will get into. I've got thoughts about that. Stick with me because I, I think I've got some interesting points for you. So they built Nord Stream 2, an undersea pipeline that goes directly from Russia to Germany, designed to circumvent Ukraine so he can march into Ukraine, not risk getting his gas to market. Because guess what? Europe will still buy it. They'll still buy the, the natural gas. They're not going to suddenly say, we're not buying that. They need it. Now, what I find interesting about this pipeline blast is I would not be surprised if this blast was to cut off fuel supplies to Ukraine so they had difficulty refueling. And, and causing a shortage. That could be, it could be an attempt at a false flag, which of course, Biden administration and White House have been saying for days, there's gonna be a false flag, gonna be a false flag. Very well could be, who knows why this was blown up. It could have been the Ukraine trying to, you know, get people to realize that Russia might be doing something. But in America, the language is actually heating up. So right now, it seems as though there are political pundits and politicians that are starting up the war rhetoric. Veteran New York Times correspondent charges that Putin has put a gun to the head of the West. In an op-ed recently published in the Times, a former U.S. national security official accuses President Biden of sending the messages that the United States is afraid of confronting Russian military. You won't do it. You won't do it. You're a wuss. You won't do it, man. In an era when fascism is on the march. Fascism? Fascism? Russians? Russians? Fascists? I'll get into that history in a second. Boston Globe columnist warns much more, hang, much more may hang in the balance than simply the security of a single country on the far eastern fringe of Europe. In other words, oh, it's way out there in the boondocks, but, you know, it may be an issue. So... Andrew writes, a sense of impending doom punctuates the taunts. With unnamed fascists gathering outside the city gates and the very survival of the West at risk, the sitting president succumbs to cowardice. Whence does such over, overheated language come? What does it signify? Signif signify? I can't talk, dude. So this is, this is where this whole Russia thing gets interesting, and I want, I want to go into Andrew's article. Hear what he says, and I'm going to have a response to this. He says, one obvious explanation is the unvarnished Russophobia pervading the ranks of the American political elite. With roots going at least as far back as the Bolshevik Revolution, the Communist Revolution, disdain for Russia only deepened across several decades of Cold War. Although the Cold War ended a generation ago, this habitual animus survives fully intact, nowhere more so than in Washington. Demonizing Russia is an easy sell. Now think about that. Russia gets demonized all the time, right? Especially by the Democrats. I think for different reasons than they actually care about communists. In international politics, most crimes, no matter how heinous, are forgivable. Even those perpetrated by the Nazi regime do not figure in day-to-day -day U.S. relations with the Federal Republic of Germany. Remember that point. I'll get to it. 
Nor, as it turns out, does the United States hold Ukraine's collaboration with the Third Reich against it. On that score, Russia is an exception, with members of the American establishment disinclined either to forgive or to forget past transgressions attributed to the Soviet Union. Note how the Soviet-American partnership that was crucial to defeating Nazi Germany has all but vanished from our collective consciousness. We revere Churchill. We revile Stalin. I'll get to that one. That Putin is a former KGB officer presumably tells us all we need to know about him. He says, but let me suggest that our present-day antipathy, antipathy toward Russia derives from something deeper than an unwillingness to let go of old grudges. The real issue has less to do with them than us. More specifically, it centers on a desperate need to refurbish the concept of American exceptionalism. Nowhere is that need felt more powerfully than among members of the foreign policy establishment. So a couple of things. I think he's wrong. Here's why I think he's wrong. He's basically saying Russia is that punching bag for America to feel strong again. And that's why we've, we've carried out this whole Cold War argument for so long, and we've always seen Russia as a, as a rival. Now, he uses the difference between Nazis and Russia and says, well, we revere Churchill, but we don't revere or we revile Stalin. Here's where he gets it wrong. Nazi Germany started up about 1930, right, right around that time. Before then, Germany had had issues in terms of these rising movements of socialism fighting communism. This was always kind of the battle in, in Germany when these movements sprung up. After World War II, the Nazis wiped out, completely wiped out. Nazi party lost all power, right? Communists took over half of Germany. So you had West Berlin, East Berlin, West Germany, East Germany, right? East Germany was the, the cold, gray, concrete, bitter place, and the West became the West. Russia's uh, communist revolution started in, in the 1910s. And communism was, was deeply embedded in all of that. So you had a long span of Russia becoming this communist identity. And when the wall fell in 1990, so you had almost 100 years of communist regime and reign in Russia, it's not like you got rid of that edit ethic. Nazism lasted, what, 15, 20 years maybe? Communism lasted 100 years in Russia, and honestly, we all argue, is still there underneath the surface. But that's not even the biggest point. He goes, well, Churchill, you know, we, we revere him, but for some reason, we revile Stalin. And he makes the argument that, hey, there was this Russia-American alliance that defeated the Nazis. It was not really an alliance. It was not friends. Who was it? Henry Kissinger said that America doesn't have friends. It has interests. We had interests with Stalin. And I would argue that America actually – I'm going to step on toes with this one. I don't believe America was what won World War II. We helped. But it, Hitler actually lost the war. Here's why. Right at the height of the war, Hitler was extremely paranoid. Go figure. Because he knew behind him, to his back, 
with somebody as crazy as he was in Stalin. Hitler and Stalin had kind of this tenuous uh, agreement relationship. They were they were going to carve up areas, and they were like, "Hey, you don't bug me on what I'm doing; I won't bug you." And so they were they were they were good or okay together. All of a sudden, Hitler goes to his war council and says, we need to attack Russia because he's going to stab us in the back while we're going this way. Mind you, they were making great progress going this way. But all of a sudden, Hitler turns around and says, I want to fight a war on two fronts. His top generals were saying, this is going to lose the war for us. Why would you split everything into a two-front war right now? We need everything we can to go this way. Let's worry about Stalin after. Hitler said no, or as you've probably seen the video meme, nine, 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 nine. He's, he wanted to go two fronts. So that's what they did because you don't <laughs> do something against the Fuhrer. And so they split. They fight this front. Russia goes all in. Russia has millions upon millions of people to throw at the wave of Germans. The Germans make it very close. But the, the terrain, the weather, the uh, stretched out resources, Russia is able to take on a big brunt of Germany's power, which also frees up America and the allies to move in from the other side. And so this, this squeezing happened and defeated Germany. Stalin was not a friend of America. He was an interest. He was a convenient ally. And as soon as Hitler was out of the way, guess what Russia did? Started solidifying themselves. So I don't want to say that, well, we just can't forgive because there's other issues at play in the history of this than just, well, we forgave the Nazis. No, Germany was completely uh, uh, decimated. At that point, Germany was rebuilt from basically the ground up when it finally reunified. Russia has never had that fully collapsed moment. Yes, they shrank, but they never fully collapsed. Moscow is still Moscow. You got any comments, Trav? Yeah, so there was one from um, Don and other group. They, they commented earlier and said, isn't Russia such a mess now that we don't need to worry about them? Okay, yes. Um, in a way, so Don and, Don and uh, um, Heather, right? Why am I forgetting? Uh, Rudolph, isn't Russia a mess? Russia is a mess. Um, Russia is, is not in a great position. Who is? China's not really, China looks powerful, but they've been considered like the paper tiger or whatever. Uh, Russia is not in a great financial situation. We're a financial mess. Um, but what Russia can do if they take on Ukraine is bolster themselves. They'll get resources, once again, a breadbasket. So there is a stabilizing factor if Russia can take Ukraine. And that matters to the American political elite because the last thing they want to see is Russia get stronger. So you've got Russia, 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 out of the Democrats, all of a sudden, the, the resource-rich and, and uh, unique advantage to having Ukraine as a part of you, we've, we've been trying to get Ukraine to join NATO, and Russia absolutely does not want that. And so we're all a mess. 
but the question becomes, does America get involved? Is, is it right for America to get involved? And I want to say one more thing about what, what Andrew writes. He says, who in their right mind would identify with a nation, us? So, so he says, the American political elite believe that Putin is the punching bag for us to restore our dominance, restore the American exceptionalism. Exceptionalism says who in the right mind would identify with a nation that it has in the not so distant past engaged in a costly and arguably illegal war in one country, Iraq, while waging a 20 year long war in another, Afghanistan, that ended in humiliating defeat. In what sense does a nation that loses over 900,000 of its citizens to a pandemic? I'll leave that one aside. Whose dysfunctional central government, true, annually spends trillions more than it takes in and that cannot even control its own borders qualify as exceptional. I agree. Can a nation in which the richest 1% control 16 times more wealth than the bottom 50% be deemed exceptional, which goes back to government involvement, as well as there is actually an evolutionary biological principle of the gathering of resources. Over a long enough timeline, all the resources end up in the hands of a few or one. You ever play Monopoly? Monopoly plays off that theory. Monopoly is, is a perfect experiment of whether short or long term, at some point, all the resources end up in the hands of one, especially because it's perpetual motion. The more resources you get, the more resources and ability you have to gather more. Um, so it's not necessarily that America is just evil. It happens everywhere. Now, communism is a system that uh, uh, speeds up that process because it uses the full force of the government to say, we're going to consolidate all of it. That's why they nationalize industry. Either way, it'll end up in the hands of a few. Now, the question becomes, I was having this conversation with somebody uh, not too long ago. Does regulating monopoly come into play? You know, um, And it, that's, that's a whole different discussion argument. Anyways, Andrew continues. Or one or a country in which a major political party characterizes violent insurrection as legitimate political discourse. See, this is where he he goes sideways, I think. As for a nation that elects Donald Trump president and may do so again, the term exceptional hardly seems appropriate or elects Joe Biden. Let's throw the shoe on the other foot. Reckless, incompetent, alienated, extravagantly wasteful, and deeply confused more accurately describe our predicament. I don't disagree. So what do I say? What do I say about this? So where do I stand on the Ukraine issue? I'm going to walk backwards into my answer. I would have more patience for involvement in this conflict purely because this is Russian aggression. And I believe in a nation being able to defend its freedom and its liberty and retain independence. Think about it this way. If America were truly invaded, would you not hope that other countries would come to our aid, just as France did in the Revolutionary War? Now, does this type of thing help interests? Of course. Does it put a country at risk for itself? Of course. France spent a ton of money to help us. Out. And frankly, their involvement in, a, in our war helped destabilize them, which helped usher in the French Revolution. But my heart, guys, goes out to those countries who get invaded. There's something deep in me that recoils when that happens. Whether it's Iraq, Afghanistan, or Ukraine, 
my heart broke when Hong Kong became part of China again. When China swept in, my heart is going to break when Taiwan gets invaded. Because guess what this situation is showing? It's showing, whether right or wrong, that Biden will not get involved. And so now Russia and China have both learned America's too weak. America doesn't have the stomach for it. So we can, we can start grabbing our interests. I believe we stuck our nose in the Middle East for bad reasons, and we have been for a while now for bad reasons. We should not have been in the Middle East at all. And we'll, also what it's done is it's beat us up. The American psyche can't handle more involvement. And the question is, should we? No. We're out of sorts. We're mentally and emotionally unstable as a country. You do not send a soldier to war who isn't fit to serve. And frankly, America as an identity and as a whole isn't fit to serve. Now, you may say, well, should we even be getting involved as global police? I'll get to that. But the, if we were going to, we can't right now. This is just like a police officer who is overwhelmed by PTSD. He can't serve faithfully and well. This is where I think Andrew gets it correct, the article writer. Our identity is a mess, guys. Our military has played that out. We've decided to support social justice warriors as opposed to real warriors, warrior mentality. We've decided that our military is a social experiment. We've decided that competition isn't fair in our military. We have just handed it to everybody that we're, we don't have the stomach anymore for this. I wish somebody would come to the defense of Ukraine, but nobody will. It's just facts. Nobody will step up. They'll be left to be pickings of Russia. If, if, if this isn't a political ploy and, ploy and Putin really is shooting for Ukraine, he's going to get it. And he's going to get another step in reforming the Soviet Union. Now, some may say, isn't that our moment? Is, isn't this our Neville Chamberlain moment? You know, Hitler had, had grabbed Czechoslovakia. He, he had grabbed, uh, what was it, Austria? France, well, France was during the war, right? Um, Poland was really the tipping point where everybody started stepping in. But Chamberlain handed Hitler the areas of Czechoslovakia that he wanted because Chamberlain was hoping to stave off war. Appeasement. I, this, I don't think this is our Neville Chamberlain moment in the sense of we need a Winston Churchill to push through and um, because we... we we can't do it. We don't have the stomach for it. We don't have the, the strength for it. We don't have the stability for it. We're not united for it. Um, we're not ready for it. And now people will argue, well, is, is it our place? It's a really hard question for me. And some conservatives, a lot of conservatives, especially libertarians, would say, well, that's an easy answer isolationist. And you would have asked me a year ago, I would have been very isolationist. I think where, where my principle comes down to play is I want to protect the weak and defenseless. And I want to protect those who, who are trying to retain their independence and liberty. 
I want to help protect those principles. And so it's, it's a little bit harder for me now to say if I see somebody invading, like us, I, I, if we invade another country, I want others to stand against us, right? Let a country handle itself. But at the same time, defend liberty and independence. It, it's a very murky thing, and I know I sound like I'm riding the fence and being milquetoast, but it's because to me it's a very difficult answer. Now, the easier answer is America doesn't get involved, and that'll, that'll work for a while. And the question is, and you have to weigh this out, will it come to your doorstep if you don't stand firm enough? Now, I don't trust our government. I don't trust politicians that they have the right answers because I don't trust their hearts and their motives, most of them. Interests, not friends. And so we've been decimated psychologically as a nation by decades of constant war that we shouldn't have been involved in. And we, we haven't had a coalescing event. We haven't had a uniting moment that brought courage to us as a people. We are not united as an identity. We're split right down the middle. And a house divided cannot stand. Could war do it? Sure. And a war could be the final death blow for America. I think right now Russia and China are looking at us as weak. And honestly, they're just waiting for the opportunity. They would salivate at finishing us off. So my position that I'm backing into is that we need to be isolationists right now. We have truly spent our currency being world police and the defender of freedom. We don't even know what freedom is anymore. How can we possibly defend it for others? We have to get our ducks in a row. We have to figure ourselves out. And it's not easy for me to say that because I understand global threats continue to exist. And I do see China and Russia as global threats. Russia, I feel, is more of a – they're less world domination viewpoint than China. I see Russia more as – it wants to prove itself that it can stand on the same ground as America. China – wants to control the world. And China, I believe, is a much stronger adversary and foe. But we would have a very difficult time standing. And most of the West has been kicked apart by destructive ideologies, by deconstructionism, really. And, and in the next couple of weeks, Massey and I are going to get into the whole deconstructionist idea, especially as it pertains to Christianity. Uh, you guys want to tune into that because that's going to be really interesting. So where I stand on all of this is we can't get involved. We, we, we don't have what it takes to get involved in this because if we do, it's all out war. It's, it, it would not be a proxy war like most of the Middle East has been. And you can disagree with me. Please, by all means, disagree. Let me know. Uh, even, even, you know. even like the, the last degrees that if, if we get involved in there, it might result in World War III. Right. And, and Croft says the, the left even agrees that it might result in World War III. It would. And I really believe that both China and Russia are, are looking for it. Not, not that they want war, but they're ready for it.
especially because war will bolster a country in certain respects, especially when a country is, is falling apart and they're about to breathe their last breath. The last ditch effort is a war. Um, Don and Heather asking, how do we fix it? So Don and Heather ask, how do we fix it? How do we fix this? <laughs> Which part? Uh, give me 10 minutes. I can solve it. Um, no, I, I love the question. Thank you, guys. As far as Ukraine and Russia, there's not much we can do. Um, NATO can put its weight behind and bolster defenses for Ukraine. I think Ukraine would have to allow NATO to come in. Um, Ukraine would have to allow all of their allies to come in and bolster them. If you got a strong enough presence, I think Russia would back down. They would just kind of flirt the line and kind of push, but not push too much, not start an all-out war. Because Russia, I don't, unless they could get other countries involved like China to help bolster them, they, they would have a hard time with the resources. So you're probably looking at if everybody was willing to take a stand at once and all put all of their might into Ukraine, Russia would probably back down. Will that happen? I don't think so. As far as the American thing, this is going to sound cliche, but the American thing will only happen with prayer. Um, it's going to take a spiritual wiping out and tearing down of the idols. It's going to take something that coalesces people together. We are so unbelievably comfortable that that's going to be our biggest problem and downfall. Because it, the, the old saying, and I was talking to a friend about this, that old saying, um, bad times produce strong men. Strong men produce good times. Good times produce weak men. Weak men produce bad times. And then the cycle starts over. We're in a bad times process. We're, we're, well, really, we're, I feel we're at the peak of the weak man creating the bad times. And so what we need, honestly, is that bad time suffering to coalesce strong men again, which sounds bad, sounds horrible. But spiritually, there is a process of humbling ourselves before the Lord and, and realizing what we're facing and realizing we are weak men and that we can only be strengthened by the Lord. It takes revival. And I'm not going to give you um, how to build a revival because everybody has their thought, well, you need to do this or you need to do that. Or, and, and, and Lord shows up revival. It, it's our job to, to humble ourselves and pray for it. And I think what's going on right now is there is a, a beautiful waking up, and I've said this before, there's a beautiful waking up of the people that is happening. And what you're going to see is a burning off of the dross. You're going to see people fall away because they, they, they don't have the stomach for it and they want to keep their eyes closed. Don't worry about that. Massey had said the other day, he saw a quote that he really liked is, stop, what is it? Stop trying to turn sheep into lions and start looking for the sleeping lions. It's so true. Now's the time to just be looking for the sleeping lions. Um, and not that you don't reach out to people and you don't evangelize. I think that's very important. But trust and accept that people will fall away because they can't stomach standing on conviction. They want the comfort. They want the security. They want their eyes to continue to be closed. So now is the time to be keeping an eye out for the strength of men in the Lord. 
and to walk forward with those people, to support those people, to move with those people, to, to embrace that movement and say, we're no longer going to stand here and allow this to happen to us, but we are going to seek out avenues to fight back. And I'm telling you, you don't need guns at this stage. You still have avenues. You still have the abilities of peaceful protest, of civil disobedience. And there are candidates that do share your principles that are running, and it is our job to find them and vote for them. That is why we have these candidates on our show, because we find people that we believe in and we present them to you and expose them to you so that you know who to vote for who to support and you connect the dots in the web because they have peers that they support and they encourage and they trust get these people in office and hold them to account that's why everybody loves anthony sabatini he's holding the whole thing to account he may be one of only a couple of voices but he's doing it and we will continue to throw our weight behind him whatever we can do as small as that weight is any other comments questions all right guys Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you learned something today. I hope you connected something. And I know this stuff gets uh, um, long, but it's worth it. We need to know this stuff. And we need to think, critically think, about why we believe the things we believe. And we are here every week to help you figure out solutions. So, guys, I love you so much. I am so thankful for you. I cannot wait to see you next week at 9 a.m. Be sure to share this. Please quick share. We can tell we are getting throttled, but that's okay. We're going to keep fighting. So I love you guys. Have a great day. I'll see you next week.